Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lake, 
Garrett County, Maryland, and the entire world. Yes, it is. <laughs> and it's been a hectic couple of weeks here ever since uh, we made a new acquisition for Oro Expeditions. Last week of July was when it got crazy. And it's I just found that, that out today. I didn't even realize it had been that long. It hasn't slowed down since. <laughs> yeah, we're uh, we took off on a little trip to Ohio and Indiana, and we talked about it last week on the show, of course, because it's been sitting out here now well over a week. Been sitting out here about three weeks, pretty close. Yeah. Getting used to it, even. What is it? What are we talking about? <laughs> It is a 38-foot-wide body motor home. Yes, ma'am, it is. And we're about to go in style with Oro Expeditions 18. A little late, but, you know, like the, my granny always said, better late than never. And we're going to go find some gold in a little place called Loud Mine. Loud Mine happens to be a Lost Dutchman Mining Association gold claim in northern Georgia, just outside of Cleveland, Georgia, if you want to check it on the map. Uh, another great place there in the same area is a little town of Dahlonega, Georgia. Another cool fact about that area is the Lumpkin County Animal Shelter is where our newest addition, Miss Coda, came from. Uh, well over a year now. Well, how long has it been? About a year and a half. year and a half. Yeah, yeah. we got her in... Uh... We went down there before May, we went April, to Bay, and then we went back to Bain Mountain, and then we went out to Oregon in 17. That's right. Yeah. I think it was like May when we got her. So we got, uh, as I said, lots of things to talk about. Where uh, you booted me out of chat room, I guess. Uh, I didn't mean to. <laughs> I went in as co-host. <laughs> so no, I didn't boot Let's you see out. What I, do. Well, I got to restart it. <laughs> Would restart. But uh, we're hoping to get all the inspection and everything taken care of this week. It needed a couple of tweaks and fixes on it to pass inspection, and we're hoping to get that taken care of this week and pull out of here probably Wednesday morning, I think. Wednesday morning is the target day, right? Uh, Wednesday afternoon is... Uh... Break, make a break type make of time. <laughs> got to make a break for Georgia at that point. But our plan ahead of time for anybody that happens to be listening now or in archive, very in the very like in the next 24 hours or so, you're going to find out a little bit of news here that you're not going to hear anywhere else, which is we're going to go from here down to Vane Mountain, LDMA camp. And check things out. Make sure Brian and Bonda's got things up and running good after all the high water they've had over this summer. The rain in the southeast has been incredible. So um, we're gonna we're gonna make a LDMA tour of things. We may end up going. We might even make it over to Osani, the uh, third LDMA camp on the southeast coast. So stay tuned for exact landing spots for Big Nugget Buggy, Little Nugget Buggy, and the crew, which is us. <laughs> yes, us and the two dogs. Uh, 
Dakota's still not real thrilled about riding in the coach. Makes a lot of noise in it. Well, you had all the windows Jumps up open. and down a lot and everything yeah. because of the air. She doesn't like the air ride, the feeling of the air ride, I don't think. Well, that and all the noise that uh, the screens make when you go down the road 60 miles an hour with the windows open. Yeah, we've done that with the windows <laughs> open. She didn't care much for that. But Anywho, um, about coming up about 10 after the hour, and I've got a special treat tonight on the Diary of a 49er because it turns out we have part 10 and part 11, which is all that's left for the whole thing. And if my voice will hold out, and if Bubba doesn't crowd me out of my chair over here, he decided he wants to camp out in the big chair today, tonight. We're going to go all the way through and finish this uh, journal up tonight. Since you know, for a little dog, he sure does. He sure is a chair hog. <laughs> it's funny how he ends up as wide as he is long when he's in the chair. <laughs> Not sure how he does that, but he goes from oval to circle. <laughs> he's he's when he spreads out he really spreads out. Looks like a circle. Yeah. But anyhow, before I start this, I guess we might as well talk about why we're gonna do both parts. We decided to do both parts because the show schedule for the next month, you might say, or longer, could be possibly all the way through to the end of the year. Now that Big Buggy's ready to ride, the show schedule for the radio show, soon to be YouTube TV show. That's another announcement that if you're listening to tonight's show, whether it's live or the archive, you will know something ahead of everybody else, is being on the road, traveling to the Lost Dutchman Mining Association camps and doing the different events and so on, we're going to be bumping it up a notch from Internet Radio to Internet TV which is basically like Facebook Live, except it'll be a scheduled show once a week, just like the radio show is. And we'll have cameras set up in the RV, regular little broadcasting booth. I think we could probably use the shower stall. It's pretty big. We'll be a regular diamond and silk. <laughs> From the shower stall or the Fleetwood? Yeah. Hotel, uh, Hotel Fleetwood Southwind. Yeah. I don't think we need to to go as far as the shower stall. I think that it, if we well, shut the doors, we're not going quite as far as diamond and silk either. But. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. I might get on a rant. You never know. You get wound up once in a while. And... Yeah, we save that for the second half, for the second hour, though, folks. Just in case you're wondering. And oh, by the way, Miss Pollard informs me that she did finish up a little project I asked her to do, and we have a very special uh, guest coming up, you might say, uh, in the second half hour of the first hour. Said that right? <laughs> second <laughs> half hour of the first hour. Yeah, I nailed it. Yeah, I nailed it. You mean from 9.30 to 10 o'clock? Something like that, yeah. I'm hoping I only take 20 minutes, so I better get started on the Diary of a 49er Part 10 and 11 tonight. Because we're starting on April 1st, Fool's Day of 1850. And we're, the gold is at Mormon Gulch in Jacksonville, California. April 1st, during the remainder of the month and in the absence of our companion at Stockton, we made but $4.28 each. The weather became moderate and the dry season seemed to be setting in. The wind kept steady from the dry quarter. 
the particularities of a Frenchman working near us have amused us. Rain or shine, he is always seen without his hat. He carries his rifle over his shoulder, pistols, and his knife in his belt. When he reaches his claim, he puts down a pistol on each side of him, and his hole resembles a fart, fort. Almost said a fart. <laughs> it's the, it's the t- believe it or not, it's actually my favorite font. It's Comic Sans, so you'd think I could nail it. But it is fort, of which he is the undisputed owner. He came from New York, and with his son, he is doing a business there worth 2000 a year to him and gave 5000 for their outfit. In the 10 months since he left home, he has made nothing. There's a company here from York County, Pennsylvania, numbering 14 strong, hardworking men. They have made but $50 the last four weeks, or an average of 14 cents a day to each one. During this time, we've been exposed every or every other day to severe rain or snow, the ice being sometimes half an inch or more thick. Crowds of miners still flock in here, attracted by the fabulous reports of the richness of these mines. Some have done well. A few have done very well, while the miners generally have not made enough to support them. Our trading operation did not amount to anything. The expenses of traveling, transportation of goods, time, and etc. ate up all the profits. I have today received a letter from our friends and traveling companions from Philadelphia inviting me to visit them with reference to some mining operations for the summer. They are living at Jacksonville on the Tulumne River, some miles distance from us. April 2nd. Today, have walked over to Jacksonville where I was greeted with a cordial welcome. This is quite a settlement here. There are some comfortable houses here. As in every other settlement, the houses are of every possible variety, according to the taste or means of the miners. Most of these, even in winter, are tents. Some throw up logs a few feet high, filling up with clay between the logs. The tent is then stretched above, forming a roof. When a large company are to be accommodated with room, or a trading depot is to be erected, a large frame is made, and canvas is spread over that. Those who have had more regard to their own comfort or health erect log or stone houses, covering them with thatch and shingles. I have seen some very good houses at Aquafria made and roofed with slate. Some comfortable wigwams are made of pine bows thrown up of a conical form and are quite dry. Many only spread a piece of canvas or a blanket over some stakes above them while not a few make holes in the ground where they burrow like a fox. The covers of these sometimes extend above ground and are roofed with a plaster of clay looking like so many tombs. The Mexicans and Chilianos, Chilianos, Chili, Chilinos, Chilinos is how I guess you say it. It's the word chili with N-O-S on the end of it. You say it. Chilinos put up rude frames, which they cover with hides. In two cases, I have seen a kind of basket looking like a large nest made fast among the branches high up in the trees. These may have been used by the Californians to guard against a wild beast. The huts of the Indians are of various kinds, always rude in their construction. They are similar to the wigwams of the wild Indians found in the western states. There is one house, however, which deserves a passing notice. It is called Tamaskal, 
It is made underground in the vicinity of the Indian settlement. In this, the sick and infirm are sweated. This is a barbarous custom and often ends the life of the poor patient. We have seen much of a night in conversing on our plans, and I have determined to remove to this place. My friend Mr. A invites me to share with his, him his tent. He offers also to accompany me to Mormon Gulch tomorrow for my provisions and etc. April 4th. Yesterday, we walked over to the gulch where I made my few arrangements, received from my companions there the exact amount which I had deposited with them for trading purposes, and having taken leave this morning, we returned bringing $300 between us to Jacksonville. April 5th, having arranged all our matters, also enclosed and dug up a spot for a garden and planted potatoes, turnip and cabbage, and other seed we started this afternoon, under the direction of Colonel M., Upon a scientific prospecting tour, this gentleman has spent his life in the gold mines of Georgia and possesses great experience and skill in the business of mining. The miners are like the gold they seek, surrounded with dirt, rough-looking, yet often possessing that sterling worth which will give them currency among the good, the gifted, and the beautiful. As the bars upon our rivers are being occupied by such communities, it may not be uninteresting to know by what rules and regulations such communities are governed. Those here presented were drawn up by experienced lawyers and men of wise heads and good hearts, and may serve as illustrating the mode of government common among the miners. You know what they're talking about, right? It's a little early for it, but they're talking about the beginning of the mining law of 1872, the way the communities all got together, and the miners were basically the law. Yeah. Yeah, gold miners were the judge, the lawyers. Yeah, they called them mining districts. Yeah. Uh so, they they still have um well a friend of ours, Kirby Jackson, is a member of the Gleese mining district in uh southwestern southwest Oregon. And uh I think there's a one called the Jefferson Mining District. Right. Well, this is the beginnings of it back in the eighteen fifties where they were first putting together realizing that lawyers and so on and building towns and what he just described here was basically a mining town that had everything from a, a small castle for the rich people and the yeah. big houses all the way down to a mud hut that was dug underground for a guy just to lay under a piece of canvas and sleep in yeah. and everything in between. So this was the beginnings of what then eventually became in the 1870s where they got together and decided to make it the mining districts. So it's really cool history here. April 15th, many rumors reached us respecting certain rich diggings 10 miles distance among the mountains. They are named Savage's Diggings and lie upon or near the Rattlesnake Creek. I know exactly where that is. <laughs> Thanks, 2013. <laughs> Large numbers of miners have been for some time going in that direction, while multitudes who have been but to be disappointed are returning. One of our friends the president of the Jacksonville Company, left for this place, promising to send us back information as to his success. We were therefore much gratified the next day to receive intelligence of the most encouraging character, accompanied by a message for us to hasten up as soon as possible. We made our arrangements very hastily, stewed venison, baked several loaves of bread, and made some pies of the red berry called manzanita. Yes, manzanita berries make good pies. 
which has been resembled to the cherry. It grows upon a shrub 10 feet high, the bark of which is smooth and of a bright orange and yellow color. April 11th. On the 11th instant, we started for Savage's diggings. In our way, clambering up one of the steepest mountains I've ever seen. After a very fatiguing walk, we reached the ground by the middle of the afternoon and were so anxious to try our luck among the crowd of adventurers that we commenced prospecting at once. Our friend, who had come up before us, had been successful the first day, but all this was over before we reached him. Very little gold rewarded our labors. As night came on, threatening to be a cold one, we prepared to pass it as comfortable as we might. Piling up logs and brush, a bright blaze shed its cheering influence upon us. Yes, a good fire always lifts the spirit. Wrapping our blankets around us and stretching our feet to the fire, we slept soundly. Our stay upon the mountain was brief. There was so little encouragement that it was considered best to retrace our steps. Lame, hungry, and tired, we arrived the next night at our encampment near Jacksonville. During the following week, we worked upon the banks of the river, but with little success. One day, we made $2.50 each, and the other day, we made nothing. May 1st. <clears throat> Since my last date, we have not made enough to buy us provisions. Much of the time, my company's being enraged upon the canal, I labored by myself. One day I made $6, and then for a week did not average $0.06 cents a day. So uncertain is the employment of mining. Yep, same thing today. <laughs> Cases are very frequent of persons making $100 a day, and sometimes in a single hour, and the whole week following, then making nothing. I heard of a case which illustrates this point. A young man made of rather in, indolent habits and without the perseverance and application which it would be supposed are necessary to ensure success in mining happened into a valuable claim. Hiring a man to aid him, he took out in six weeks $4,500 in gold. Near him was a company of six industrious and pers persevering miners. They labored, and week after week, for a period of four months, and at the end of that time, they had all made about $1,500 each. We are hoping for better success in the river diggings when the water is low. At present, there is very little being accomplished. Laborers may be hired at $250 to $3 a day. May 15th. During the three days immediately following my last date, I made, while working by myself, $17 I was invited to join a few miners working near me who intended to organize a company for the purpose of mining at Hart's Bar, a place a few miles below Jacksonville when the river shall be low enough to be worked. All of these are southern gentlemen. One of them, a nephew of the Commodore Turner USN, lost a fortune by a sudden decline in the price of cotton and with the hope of retrieving his condition came to California. He was messing with him, two young friends, one from Annapolis, Maryland, and the other from Mobile, Alabama. There is also in the company a person who has spent eight years in the gold mines of Georgia and possessing great skill in tracing up a vein of gold. I was not long in deciding to connect myself with this crew, and the next day we labored together. One day last week, as I was walking down from Jacksonville, where I had been to purchase provisions, I saw a number of men dragging some heavy object to the edge of a hill hanging over me. 
Presently, they pushed it over the brow, and it came tumbling like a bag of wool over and over down the side of the mountain. It was a grizzly bear, which had just been killed and which weighed over 600 pounds. As the river was too high to cross, as the river was too high to allow crossing that evening to my camp, I accepted on invitation from the miner who had killed the bear to be his guest for the night. We feasted upon the flesh, which was tender and sweet. During the following week, we had no success in gold digging, the river being too high. It was also too early to commence working upon our canal, but on the May 10th, we organized into a company, put up stakes with flags, designating our claim, and made advertisement of the same in Jacksonville, leaving a certified copy with the Alcalde. What'd you say? Alcalde? The Alcalde. Alcalde. The mayor slash judge. I told you tonight would be long because of... He's the law. We're going to do two, and we're probably going to run out of time for the second one, but I'm not going to stop. How's that? Because this gets real good at the end. I was going to say, no, we won't run out of time. We're going to find out how much they made for the whole two years at the end. So that ought to keep you listening. Then we adjourned to meet for work on the 4th of July. In the meantime, having a common purse and sharing mutually in the profits of the whole till that time. A part of the company went up to Rattlesnake Creek prospecting. At this time, an association named the Aldelphi Mining Association was formed, chiefly of miners from Jacksonville, numbering 29 in person. Their object was to drain a portion of the channel of Woods Creek, in which was a deep hole nearly the width of the creek and 20 yards in length. The place is two miles above the junction of the creek with the Tulumne and along the Eagle. Much gold had been found all along the banks, encouraging the belief that could we drain the stream and work the bed of it, it would pay well. Guess what? It's dry now. How do I know that? Because I saw it in 13, dry as a bone. Imagine that. I'm not going into detail where we're talking about either right there. Only people that live around there should know what we're talking about. Hot bed. How about that? There once, there were the good and the bad, the serious and the gay. We led there a strangely wild life, and the company was a very mixed one. As we had no mules to bring our provisions, implements for cooking and labor, we were obliged to bring them ourselves. We therefore left behind us everything which could be any possibly be dispensed with. An iron pan, which we used for washing gold, serves also for boiling the coffee. A frying pan is our only cooking utensil. In this, one of the company who leaves work before the others for that purpose fries some pork, which is rancid, and then in the fat fries some flour batter. After it is done on one side, he tosses it whirling up, catches it as it comes down upon the other side, which is then fried in turn. We have neither knife, fork, nor spoon, nor plate. A spade answers very well for a plate. We use coffee without sugar, bread without salt, salad without vinegar, our prospects so far are not favorable. Four of us were at work when a pretty vein of gold was discovered passing down the channel and into the bank. We have today made $180.25 each. June 20, do you see a pattern here as we wind it down? Yes. 
No bad days for a while, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Where do you hear the total? June 2nd. That vein we had has run up onto the bank, and all our efforts to find it are in vain. No pun intended. This wild mountain creek is fast filling up with miners. Some considerable sums have been taken out. Along the whole length of the creek are also scattered, closely scattered groups of Mexicans, Chilinos, Indians, Europeans, and Americans. At the head of the creek, upon an extensive plain, several large lamps of gold have been found, and a company has been organized to drain the whole river and work the lower part of that plain. It's <laughs> serious here, folks. It's summertime in California. Going to drain the river. June 5th. Well, back in them days, you'd get away with it. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't any National Forest Service were up your butt. BLM. <laughs> June 5th. We are still hard at work at the old place, still hoping somewhere to find that lost vein. We have sunk several holes at some distance from the channel in the bank, thinking thus to intercept the treasure we have lost. Mr. S., the Georgia miner, having heard that six Mexicans had made 75 pounds of gold in less than 10 days in a ravine near us, went over today to see the place. He found every foot of it completely occupied. There is much sickness in the mines, many whose case would yield to a little kind nursing if they were promptly attended to, become desperately ill, and often die from neglect of the early symptoms. We often hear of the instances of success in mining, some of them most remarkable. At Sullivan's Camp, just a few miles from us, a Dutchman followed a vein of gold down to a large rock, which continually became richer as he progressed. Aided by some friends, he succeeded in removing the rock, and in two hours' time took out over 400 pounds in gold. June 21st. Sincere, my last date, we have not made enough to defray our expenses, but today I've added to the treasure $32. June 22nd. Company made $50. 23rd, no work. 24th, company made $25. 25th, company made $83. Are we seeing a pattern here? 26th, company made $98. 27th, company made $68. 28th, the company made $84. Uh-oh, on the 29th, the company made $7. In eight days, $447, dividend to each of five members, $89.40, average per day to each, $11.17. And that's the end of part 10. And that was back when gold was, what, $20? An ounce? Oh, you'd have to look it up. Don't get me lying because it was way up and down there, kind of big spikes like it is nowadays, but just in a lower range. Yeah, $20 was a lot of money back then. And, yeah, we're going to, this this last chapter, we're going to take a little break here since it's the bottom of the hour, but this last chapter is going to be a little bit shorter than that one. But what's amazing, and if you heard Miss Paula giggle and, me kind of making sounds in the microphone that weren't reading <laughs> words from a journal. That was because the closer to the end of this it gets, the closer to a little place known as George's Wall we get. Yeah. We're tracing our way to George's Wall. We was in the Stanislaus once, but it was downriver, damn it. 
<laughs> where this big lake is now. Yeah. They put a reservoir in there. Yeah. Well, back in these days, it was no reservoir. It was the lower end of the Stanislaus. Right. They called it what? They called it what, the Glory Hole Reservoir. Glory, the Glory Hole Reservoir. No, well, it's the Glory Hole Gold Mine there, too, on the banks of the reservoir. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to find out what we're talking about, you're going to have to look it up. <laughs> it's a, Well, we'll tell you this much. It's in California. Good God, he's breathing and moving. <laughs> the dead walk. The Bubba dog got up and moved. He's ready to go gold mining. That's his problem. He's just been way too long without being in a gold mining. No, he had his medicine this evening. It probably made him a little drowsy. <laughs> what is that medicine since we're taking a break? Oh, well. I'm taking a break. You need to talk a little bit. <laughs> or I put on a music or something. We don't, this hour, we don't really have time for music. So. No, rock, rock has like he needs to go back to sleep but rock was born with a he has a genetic birth defect that uh, a lot of chihuahuas have where he has a knee that pops out as soon as we get our first hundred grand in gold we're getting him a bionic leg (laughs) and it gives him a lot of pain and gives him a lot of trouble when it pops in and out of joint and we've been since we signed up with ctfo we have been giving him 20 drops of CBD oil every hemp, evening. Hemp-based CBD oil. Hemp-based, That's yes. important to say that so that people aren't worried about passing pee tests and whether or not it's legal. Because some of the cannabis-based CBD oil is a little higher in THC and THC level. The, the, the oil that we market, CTFO markets, and we're distributors of, is... Point zero zero three. That is three or uh, yeah, three one hundredths. No, three one hundredths, one thousandths, ten thousandths. Mm-hmm. Three ten thousandths <laughs> of one. Yeah. THC. Which means you could drink a gallon of this stuff and still pass a pee test. <laughs> That's pretty much what it means. Well, Rock doesn't have to worry about urinalysis. No, but I wanted to put that out there because I've had about 20 people ask me, Hey, oh. that oil you got, man, could I pass a pee test? <laughs> uh, yeah, as long as you don't want to put it in intravenously out of a 55-gallon drum. As long as long as you don't partake in cannabis <laughs> along with your hemp-based CBD but Trust oil. <laughs> me, if you're, if you're taking enough of this to not pass a pee test, you're doing a lot of sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> like all the time. They won't be able to wake you up for a pee test, so you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I'm going to put in my two cents here because Rock gets his two cents, and, yeah, he's already back to sleep. Look at him. <laughs> well, he we had a hard talking day about it, and he went back to sleep. But CTFO, I've tried other CBD oils, kind of like the ones you get in 7-Eleven or – you know, convenience store, Walmart has them on a big rack, or 
some some of the people are thinking the vape pen with the C with the CBD and it's a good thing. Each to their own is what I say there. But for me, my own is 750 milliliters per little bottle of pure, clean CBD oil only. And I, if I want to, I can order the 1500. Yeah. Which is what we're going to get for Betty Buy time. This isn't Betty Buy time. For 750 milliliters, that's not Betty Buy time. 1500 milliliters, you do 20 drops of that. Yeah, it'll be Betty Buy time. Probably eight <laughs> hours straight. Uh, REM, I think is what they call it. Yeah. REM sleep when you dream. I call it with my eyes closed. <laughs> Uh, REM is when your eyelids are twitching and stuff, and you, you're not you're really dreaming, free, but your body's still working itself a little bit. You're getting a workout. But uh, you can find Oro's webpage for CTFO over on orocastcryptoworld.com. You can find all of our deals there, and yeah. I feel like, go ahead, and uh, what else is, What else will they find there? But um boom but of uh, well besides CTFO you'll also find Plexus which what the hell is a Plexus a Plexus is weight <laughs> yeah. management yeah. nutrition and uh skincare products very and famous very infamous actually worldwide known worldwide products yes as as I understand um i went back um going to try this once again uh i started once before and and had to uh I'm gonna stop. go ahead have your oprah moment yeah i'm gonna have my oprah moment uh, before and after i had started on it for the specific purpose of losing weight and because sitting around for a year recuperating from hip surgery and so on and so forth. Uh, I've put on a pound or two. Well, and there was a whole lot of you after you recuperated. There was a whole lot of you being here helping me recuperate. Yeah, which you just meant you had to sit and watch me. So <laughs> still some more sitting, and when then we were all sitting, and the dogs got fat. <laughs> so that's why they're on the CBD oil. <laughs> so I I am maybe uh, try some plex. They got any plexus for dogs. Actually, there um, is a testimonial that uh, there is a woman who uh, gives uh, her bulldog ease to help with his joint pain. I'm glad you said that. That's a bottle of ease. That's what I take, plexus-wise, so far. Now, have you noticed a difference since you started to take those, or...? Well, we're piling it on a little bit, but yeah, I know. I guess the only way to find out is to stop taking them. But I'm not going to stop taking CBD. Um, that is guaranteed, twenty drops minimum, sometime after nine p.m. every night. Yeah, we're because I went from sleeping a broken four to five hours a night. Which broken means I'd be up anywhere from a few minutes to 10 or 15 minutes to an hour on and off in four to five hours. So then I started with CBD. The second day I took 
the 750 milligram for pain because milliliter. CTFO, milliliter, CTFO does have the different oils for different purposes. Yeah, they also have weight management, pain, weight management, nutrition. Pain. Right. And I got the one that's for pain, strictly for pain. And I'm not sure what it is they do that makes them different, and I don't care. All I know is whenever I take my 20 drops under my tongue and hold it there for 30 seconds. Twice a day. Twice, no, I do it once a day. Oh, I okay. Once a day because I, I also use medical cannabis. It would be crazy to for me to do 40 drops. But well, and the main reason is is you are off of your narcotics, and we are gone, gone. We're, we're working out a regimen to keep you off of the narcotics. Four different pills. We had two pain pills. We had a pill to go poopy because of the pain pills. We had a <laughs> pill to relax the muscles. We had a t- pill to relax the nerves, and then we had a pill to throw up. Or no, not throw up in case sure, all of those pills made you feel like you're going to throw up. Five pills. I miscounted. It was five. Yeah, there was a sleeping pill. There was... They were all narcotic. Oh, yeah, the sleeping pill made six. You count Soma. Folks, stay away from Soma. I will tell you that if you have to, if you feel you have the urge to take a pill called Soma, then you need a psychiatrist or somebody to talk you into going to sleep because that pill ain't it. That drug ain't it. I'm putting out a, a, a public service <laughs> announcement, a PSA here on Soma. Stay away. Yes. Cause... You're not supposed to drink with your... <laughs> I guess I'll get to do that to you. <laughs> But anyway, if you go over to orocastcryptoworld.com, it's all there. It's all there. The CTFO, the Plexus, the dry washing guard, which is why we're all, both of us are strung out and wore out because we've just dry washed and guard, guarded a 38-foot motorhome on both sides. And oh, wait a minute. Dry washing <laughs> guarded. What the hell is that? Is that like some kind of a sword? video game something you're playing there or what yep <laughs> i was guarded well we did <laughs> you dry we're, washing we're, guard. we're not using dry wash and guard right now we're used it in the past tense dry wash and guarded <laughs> Doesn't say dogs gonna get mad because that guard part's their job <laughs> they're guarded they're both out but uh, the motorhome except for the weather cracks and the tape the decorative tape looks... Hey, it's a 96 it? model that was, as far as I can tell, one or two owners before the guy we bought it off of got it. Possibly only one, Elmer. Seems Elmer bought it brand new, and I think he might have been the only owner. And then the guy we got it off of got it, and there, him and his family used it for a while, and then he parked it. And he has a truck and trailer shop, so he's a mechanic, real good mechanic. And... If you're looking for a deal on motorhomes, Central Ohio is a pretty good spot to look. 
Yeah, especially around Wilmington. All you got to do is go driving around the two lanes. You don't even have to get on Craigslist. Just go driving around the two lanes. Between the big cities, you'll find lots and lots of campers and motorhomes. But anyhow, I think it's about time we finish up this diary of a 49er now. I think we've read a couple of the, a couple of them twice or three times over the past 11, 12 weeks. See, this is coming up at part 11, and I know we read one twice, so that's 12. This is a 12-week series that we're finishing up tonight, so it's a big deal. And why is it such a big deal? Let me explain it to you. It's such a big deal. We're going to blow through the top of the hour break, so we're just going to make it a big break like right now, and then we're going to come back. We're going to do the ending of the uh, 49ers journal from 1849 and 1850. We're going to find out exactly how much these fools made that traveled out there from the middle of nowhere and ended up in the middle of nowhere and found lots of gold. Didn't you just say they made $11 a piece? That was just that one particular section. We're about to find out what they made from the time this journal started, which, if I remember right, was November of 1848. Yeah, thereabouts. I'd have to look to be sure, but it was just before 1849, and they were in dead of winter, damn near froze to death when it started. But anyhow, we'll take a break now and maybe play a little song. Uh, and you can just can figure out what it is that you want to do there while I'm finishing up here with this little ramble because uh, when we come back, we're going to finish up with the journal and then we got a very special treat with a guy named Buzzard. Yes, so. it's, uh, what is it, the 50th anniversary, I believe? 50th anniversary of LDMA and GPAA. And... Uh, this is oral. The new guide just came out. Everybody should be getting them in the mail if you're members. If you're not a member, you really ought to go over to GPAA, do a search on the Internet, and find it. Goldprospectors.org. There you go. And join up because it's a great group. It's a fantastic group of people. The LDMA is a little more expensive. It's more like the lifers and retired, a lot of retired people and so on and the old timers, and it's all great time, whether you're GPAA or LDMA. We highly recommend it. Get signed up today. And this is KDCL Media, the pride of Internet Radio for Deep Creek Lake, Garrett County, Maryland, and the world, and you're listening to Oro Expeditions After Dark.
watching Seven Bridges Road. We had a blast filming it. Got to go all over Minneapolis. It was a really good time with our good buddies, Fifth Gen. Yay! If you haven't seen our tour yet, please check them out. We'd love to see you guys on the road. We have a great time doing songs like this one in our live show. Absolutely. And please, check us out on Patreon. If you like what you're seeing here, you can go there and help support us, and it, and it will give you so much access to all kinds of cool things and uh, bring our art a little closer to you. And if you haven't done so yet, do us a huge favor. Take two seconds and click subscribe right now. Thanks, y'all. Bye. 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 Huh? What'd you say? And that was home free. What was that website they gave? You got to say it again because they could barely hear what he said. I don't know, but if you go onto YouTube and type YouTube home free, you'll get all that. They have a Patre- uh, Patreon website. They have a Facebook page. You know, they're a good bunch of guys, talented bunch of guys. Yeah. Um. Do you have any, like, uh, gold miner news, anything from the front oh, or the bottom or the back or the top? <laughs> not not a whole lot. There's not a whole lot going on. Um, I checked over at AMRA. They don't – they're – Whoa. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, just took a big jump. Oh, okay. But uh, it's kind of quiet this week, but – uh, starting the 28th and running through September the 1st, there is a GPAA dirt party down at the Loud Mine LDMA camp. You better announce that one since we're going to be there. Yeah, we're going to be there. There's another thing they find out if they listen to the show. <laughs> That's right. We're going to be sneaking up on a whole lot of people because a whole lot of people could be listening to the show right now and ain't. And like you said, new mining guides coming out for GPAA and LDMA members. I already got it. Most um, should already be delivered by now, actually. We were one of the last, I think. September 1st and 2nd, if you can't make it to Georgia, September 1st and 2nd, 2018 Gold Rush Days at Belleville, Ohio. Mm-hmm. September 8th and 9th, there is an outing in Powamo, I think I'm saying probably butcher net michigan um, that's up at the ldma michigan site we're gonna need to go check that out it's supposed to be a lot of flower gold september 14th through the 16th there is an outing in greensburg indiana hmm. september 22nd an outing in mesa arizona wait a minute you missed a dirt party there because there's a dirt party in burnt river first second week of september i think it is well, now, if you let me finish and not interrupt. Oh, you didn't get to the dirt party yet. September 26th through the 30th, 2018 Burt River outing in Burt River, Oregon. We could be at that one, too. You never know. Depends on if the fires get put out. I ain't going out there in all that smoke. No, well, I can't go out there in all that smoke because uh, I've recently been diagnosed with mild asthma. So... Uh, I'm having enough trouble around here with the humidity and the rain. We're about to fix your asthma just like we're about to fix my joints. <laughs> and yes, that was a plural, not one joint. And there I'm is okay with fixing one joint, but all my joints are going to get fixed when we go down to the land of AZ. 
October the 13th, Apache Junction, Arizona, GPAA chapter is Funny, having, I just said that. It's like an echo. Is having an October outing at Bumblebee, Arizona. That's a cool one because that's right by our claims. And October 20th to 21st. GPAA got a claim in Bumblebee? I don't know. It says that's where they're having the How'd outing. How'd they pull that off? Maybe somebody's letting them use a claim. Private property, maybe. Private claim. Ooh, because that's good gold there. And October 20th to the 21st is the Lawrenceville, Georgia Gold Show. You missed one. Stanton. I'm only up to October 20th. Oh. I thought that was like the first part of October. No, it's in November. No, there's one in October. I just told you about it. <sighs> dirt party. There it is. They're just throwing them dirt parties out. So the dates might be a little screwy on that. So. The well, dirt party's a great place to go if you're a new member because a lot of the dirt parties are people that go to the claims all the time or have a lot of experience. And this is what we found out going to Blue Bucket for the solar eclipse deal. A lot of the people that were there, this is the only thing they go to is these digs because – you get a group of people together, and it might be 20 or 30 people, might be 80 or 90 people, might be 150 people. What's really cool is once it starts getting up in number, a guy by the name of Dominic it pretty much runs things around the LDMA, GPAA thing, uh, starts adding to the amount of gold in the bow that he gives away at each dig. Now, that's one way to get gold at the dig. The other way to get gold to dig is to work your labor-loving butt off and make sure everybody sees you doing that <laughs> so that you get a share. Because those shares can add up depending on the claim they're on. Yes, they can. And uh, the GPAA website doesn't have anything past October, so you'll well, have to... Saying, I forget where I saw that all on this website. I think you'll I have to that. check back. Uh, let me see here. I might have it here. Uh, did I bring it down? No, here it is. Where did I see that? Wasn't on action alerts. Oh, well, we'll figure it out because we have another major special coming up. Oh, October 27th, there is an open detector hunt, kids to pros at the LDMA claim in Stanton. Then that's it's right it. Before that, I guess, is a dig or something right around that same time. There's a, yeah, that's a, an LDMA outing. We'll figure it out. We'll get the date straight because that's important. There's going to be people we know listening that are members already and maybe checking it out so they know. And But we have another really special thing coming up that has to do with Gold Prospectors Association of America and the fine people there that run the place and own the place. Really big deal for me because this is their 50th anniversary. And a guy by the name of George Buzzard Massey started the whole thing back in, I believe, the late 60s. This is the way the story goes. Now, you wonder about George Massey and who he is. You've heard him t heard us talk about him here. Matter of fact, we even do the little audio clips that are one minute long that he left us on YouTube. You know, they're really cool clips because they're just George Massey in your face. Uh, and that's a good thing if you're a gold miner or somebody that cares about gold miners. So 
we have something really special planned coming up. We're going to do it even if we have to, you know, do it after hours or something. But I want to finish up with Diary of a 49er, Part 11. This comes in very special to me because Oil Expedition 13 started in the state of Tennessee. It ended in Central California, exactly where this particular gentleman that tells this story in his journal is gold mining. When he talks about the Tulumne, when he talks about the Stanislaus, the Stanislaus is the stream that runs through George Buzzard Massey's first LDMA camp, which was Italian Bar. But I may be mistaken on that. Somebody could correct me. But if I'm not mistaken, LDMA Italian Bar was his first camp. So on with the journal. Let's finish this thing up. We're at July 30th, 1850. The river we're mining is at Hart's Bar and Tulumne. July 30th. We have today commenced our labors. So much has been said of the mining operation upon the rivers, especially upon the Tulumne, which is believed to be very rich, that I am led for the information of my readers to go more into detail in describing this. The closing portion of my mining life, the gold is often found in rich deposits in the channels of all these rivers. To be obtained, the river must first be turned by dam or canal. As this is an operation requiring the united labor of many individuals, it is customary to form companies which elect their officers, form their laws, and mutually share the expense and labor of the preparatory work and also divide equally the profits. Stop the story for se- journal for a second. Once again, that is beginning mentions of what originally or what eventually became the mining districts. Could be the very first part. I'm not I'm not going to claim it's the very first talk of it, but it's part of it. You can tell by the way they talk. Back to the journal. The Hearts Bar Draining and Mining Company, <laughs> like a Draining and Mining Company, was organized in May. The following articles of agreement was adopted in July at a meeting of the company. When 21 entered their name as names as members and elected their officers, it should be remarked that mining associations enjoyed all the privileges and immunities of corporate bodies. There, just claims and rights are sacredly regarded, and any violence done to these rights would be visited by the vengeance of all miners for miles around. No code of laws or staff of police could more fully establish a miner in the possession of his 10 square feet. No well-drawn writing from the royal charter down to the simple deed of conveyance could be a surer guarantee he would not be obliged to wait a tedious process at law or pay his last dollar for a bill of adjustment. The work of restitution and retribution at the mines is speedy, summary and effective. I have received into my arbor as a campmate my valued friend M. He is a young sailor, a man with a brave heart in danger, but with a kind heart to those he loves, rough or gentle, like the ocean he's been navigating. He has today made a bed frame, nailing some bags at the bottom for sacking, also some camp stools, while the company's carpenter has made me a table so that our mining home presents an unusual air of comfort. We have sent to Stockton for a supply of provisions. M is a first-rate cook, and many of the dishes he can furnish 
would be relished in any place where there are good appetites. The living at the mines is much better than it ever has been. We have more vegetables, better flour, and a greater variety of provisions generally. Provisions are also cheaper than they've ever been at any given time previously. The work before us is truly an arduous one, made doubly so by the limited means we have of prosecuting it. The clay for the construction of our canal must be carried in hand wheelbarrows, borne between two persons from the side of the hill down a steep bank, then along over a stony path to a canal, a distance varying from one-eighth to one-sixth of a mile, and this must be done day after day for weeks. Then the lumber for the aqueduct is to be sawed by hand from logs cut and rolled from the tops and sides of the mountains with whip saws. This part of the business is under the direction of a master architect from London. Now, do you understand what they're talking about right there? You saw it. The Coolumne Canals. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. This is what he's talking about. This is when they were built in the 1850s with clay and rock. And they still have water today, folks, just in case you've never seen the Coolumne Canals that run along and down and drain into the Stanislaus and other river systems. Columbia, um, Sonora, all of those towns. Saint was it Saint James? Uh, I believe either used to, and some maybe still depend on the water that comes through those canals at certain times of the year. Just thought you'd think. I noticed that when I was proofreading it before. I was like, I know where that is. <laughs> September twenty fourth, eighteen fifty one. We prosecuted both parts of our work at the same time. A part where employed in carrying the clay to the canal. An account was kept one day, and it was ascertained that each barrow was carried during the day 14 miles. Since my last date, I have carried such barrow 420 miles total. The clay was put in large heaps where we could easily obtain it when it would be wanted in the making of the canal. This was a most arduous undertaking. Sometimes it must pass through a solid ledge of hard asbestos rock and then through deep holes in the river, where it was washed into the banks. In such a case, a heavy wall filled with clay must be made. They're talking about making wing dams. Yeah. When completed, the canal was 630 feet, 8 feet in length, and 16 in width, making the aqueduct to convey the water from the canal, which passed through Payne's Bar above us, being the most difficult task. They actually, what you're, what, what's being described here, folks, if you're listening in, or hearing this is they're making a river run uphill. Basically, to to make a mind's eye picture in a nutshell, that's what's being described here. Uh, let's see. The logs which were cut upon the mountain were rolled to the pits and then sawed by hand. Piers were constructed by making crates of logs which were firmly pinned together and sunk in their place by being filled with large stones. Another large pier was made by rolling and carrying stones into the river a distance of 30 feet. The sleepers of the aqueduct were laid upon this in the laden crates. When it was finished, it was a handsome piece of workmanship of which we were justly proud. It was 102 feet in length and 12 feet wide. This kind of labor, yielding no remuneration, 
only being preparatory to the more exciting, though laborious, process of gold digging, was prosecuted from the July 30th to the date September 24th. We were awakened at dawn by the second director who came out before his tent and sang in a loud, clear voice, Up in the morning early, boys. That song, which often brought me out of my dreams to this day, I carry back into my dreams. After a short time allowed for taking breakfast, the roll was called and we went to our daily labor. And oh, when night came again, how sweet, after a bath in the river, was the rest of the laboring man. On the 20th of September, the pleasure was ours of seeing the whole channel of the river opposite our bar laid bare for our operation. It was ours after contending with difficulties privations and hardships innumerable and of no ordinary kind and which have deprived of health many of our company. It was all ours with the joyous anticipation of soon receiving the reward of our effort and returning home with at least a competence at about two weeks since it was sixth intense instant. We were alarmed by a considerable rise in the river while at breakfast upon that day, the water of the river became suddenly muddy. Soon after we perceived this, intelligence was brought down to us from the Jacksonville Company that they were expecting to see their dam washed away. The river continued gradually to rise for another hour when there was a sudden freshet caused by the giving away of some dam above us. We hastened with the aid of other companies to open the head of the canal and to roll heavy stones into the aqueduct. The water came up to the floor, then a few inches above. We looked on, expecting to see all of our work, which we had spent weeks in completing, destroyed all at once. But the water ceased to rise, then slowly subsided, showing behind it the wet ground and the line of foam, chips and dirt marking the limits of the encroachment. Soon we were able to return to our labor with lightened spirits, and some with other kinds, many cradles, buckets, and other things floated past us in the river. The shares of the company immediately advanced several hundred dollars. One share sold for twelve hundred, while twenty five hundred was refused just lately after for another. Two days since we commenced making a ditch under the wall at the canal to carry off the water which leaked through the embankment, two cradles were set, and the dirt from the bed of the ditch was washed thorough. In three hours there was deposited in the treasury one thousand seven hundred and sixty dollars. Yesterday, we continued to work upon the ditch, eddying two more cradles, and during the day, made $4,115.75. At midnight and in the rain, we were called out to repair the walls of the canal and stop several leaks. The river was very high and slowly rising. After several hours' night labor, we succeeded in stopping every leak but one. In one place, the water rushed through in a torrent. This morning, September 24th, the water was rising in all its might. Notwithstanding our aqueduct and canal, the bed of the river was nearly full. We hastened to remove all of the mining implements. Slowly but surely, the freshet came, till the destruction of all of our work seemed inevitable. We thought not of hungry, hunger, though we had been laboring hard much of the night and all of the morning. About 10 o'clock, there was a pause of fearful suspense. The rising seemed arrested. Might it not be on the turn? For a short, short time, there was hope. The pendulum vibrated each moment between our hopes and fears. 
we hastened up the hillside, after all had been done which could be to a spot commanding a view of the whole, to see our hopes or our fears realized. We perceived at once that the existence of all of our work depended upon the Payne's Bar Dam above us. Would that stand the torrent? Should that maintain its position, we would be safe. Let that go, and all, including us, would be swept away. As we kept our eyes fixed upon it, it was a quarter of a mile above us. The black line of wall was suddenly broken, and the torrent poured through a small opening forced in the dam. And in a few seconds, the river ran foaming over the entire length of the wall, which bowed and sank before the irresistible force. Then and there was heard a sound new and strangely startling to me. It was caused by large stones rushing and grinding underwater, borne on by the tremendous power of the current. It might be imagined that the thousands submerged chariots and cars of Pharaoh's host were driving impetuously over the river channel. As soon as the dam gave above gave us, us gave way, the water rose with great rapidity, two, three, four, eight, twelve feet pour till it poured over the top of the aqueduct. Still it now nobly stood by the immense weight of the water which poured through it from the canal above. It was indeed surprising to see a thing so light resisting that mad and mighty force of water. It was but a moment. Gentle and graceful it yielded, swayed forward and moved away with the ease and rapidity of a thing of life. Thus in one moment we saw the work of 1,029 days done by the company swept and rendered useless in minutes. Within five minutes of the time when the aqueduct disappeared around the bend of the river, a meeting of the company was called and a resolution presented to proceed with our work by means of wing dams. October 8th, $50. 9th, $26. 10th, called to work on the wing dam. 11th, $160. The 12th, $1,292. The 13th, $3,002. Tenth, 16th, gladly worked on the wing dam. 17th, $1,400. The 18th, $4,198. The 19th, $8,960. 20th was a Sunday. 21st, $1,449. The 22nd, are you getting the picture? $6,088. Wing dams are a good thing. Yes. <laughs> Glad to work on them again, four days straight. $1,102. The $1,034, $701, $2,070. The 22nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th. The 27th, once again Sunday. October 28th, one, no, wait a minute, $17,940. The 29th, more work on the dam. The 30th, $6. <laughs> From the 31st to the 3rd, working vigorously on the dam. The 4th, $9,490, $8,009, $1,160, $5,047, and on the 9th of November, $40 a person.
total for the mining season as a company in the Tulumne River Basin, $17,123, no, $17,123.95 per person for the two months' work. Wow, back then that was a veritable fortune. Deduct company expense, implements, labor, and incidentals, leaving the treasure thirteen thousand five ninety five per person. Dividend per day six hundred and forty seven. Average per day eighteen hundred and fifty dollars. A large amount of gold came into the treasury, a care of which was somewhat burdensome. It puzzled me to know what to do with it. There was no lock and key in the place. My arbor was upon the hill, retired from the rest of the settlement. There were many Mexicans and strangers constantly upon the bar, and it was dangerous to have a large amount of gold in possession. As a means of security for myself, I changed my quarters every night, and to secure the gold, I tied the various packages into one bundle to which I attached one string, tying the other end about my wrist. The bundle so secured, I folded within my coat, placing the hole beneath my head as a pillow. Any attempt to take this from me would have been instantly detected. It will be seen by reference to the dates that the company labored at mining on one Sabbath day. When it was decided at a meeting on Saturday, the 12th of October, to work to the next day, I was allowed to enter my protest, which still remains on the records, and I was also excused from manual labor. By noon of that Sunday, all had left work, and it was never again proposed. November 26, 1850. We set sail in the French ship Chateaubriand, homeward bound. On January 8, 1851, reached Panama. After spending 20 days upon the Isthmus, on January 28th, weighed anchor, had a rapid run, the Georgia putting into Havana for coal and to part with a portion of her 650 passengers. And on Saturday, February 8th, arrived in New York City, and on the same night at Philadelphia after an absence of two years and eight days. What do you think his total was? Uh, Tied to a string to his finger. Uh, probably about 15000 Wait a minute. We made 17000 with the company. Yeah, but he had... But he... Or in 50. He spent money on his provisions. He bought his ticket home. But now we're talking now everything that he brought home. When we went to the French ship, he has all the gold he found for the whole journal. Um, oh, for the whole journal, um, let's say thirty thousand dollars. Forty-seven thousand five hundred and twenty dollars for his. Two years and eight days in the West. He was a wealthy man. Oh, yeah. Even uh, in Philadelphia. A very wealthy man. That's probably why he went from New York back to Philadelphia, because he would have been even more wealthy in Philadelphia. But, hey, it's quarter after the top of the hour, 10 o'clock. we got about 45 minutes left, and this very special thing we have coming up. I know Miss Paul's probably got a little something to throw at us. I've got other stuff here, too, but we're running a little short. And we got to make sure we leave 22 minutes for the buzzer. Yeah. There, I gave up the secret. Well, it's not. So I'll give it to you after that long journal read. That was incredible. 
because I found that back when we were on the air before. And, then and you I did, lost Yeah, You didn't bookmark it. <laughs> I didn't bookmark it, and I lost it. And this website, it's incredible. It's uh, nevada-outback-gems.com. Check it out. They have a section called Gold Rush Tales of California. And that's where the journal is found along with four or five hundred other really cool entries that we'll be reading from in the weeks to come. Yes, they have a, a lot of good historical documents on, on that website. <laughs> but as Oro said, we have uh, in uh, commemoration of the 50th anniversary of George Massey, or in GPAA, you're muted. He died suddenly in uh, 1993 of a heart attack, I believe it was. He left behind two sons that were, you know, kept the Outdoor Channel alive. They kept the GPAA alive, the LDMA, and so on. And what you're about to hear is something that was produced. I'm not sure when. I do know... It's a video also, which you can find over at Oro Expeditions on YouTube. That's uh, youtube.com forward slash Oro Expeditions. Uh, the video's there. And tonight is a very special um, gift to the GPAA and LDMA. We would like to present this 21-minute uh, recording, the audio portion, for the audience. What's the name of it again? It's called Circle of Honor. It was on a show called a TV show called Circle of Honor, right? Uh, it was a it was a show on the Outdoor Channel, hosted by Tracy Bird. Right. And yes, I'm stalling because it was here and now it's disappeared. <laughs> Which it'll just take me a minute to get it back if it disappeared permanently, but. I, I'm looking, well, looking. I got other stuff here. Don't need yeah, to give everything. me, give me a minute. Well, just to, uh, you know, it's a real good ah, news right there it now. Is. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> we led up to that. Okay. Uh, so. Well, like I said, it it popped out and popped back in. That's, it's very. BTR-ish. <laughs> but here it is. It's Circle of Honor for uh, George Buzzard Massey, uh, tr- hosted by Tracy Bird. Right. Hi, I'm Tracy Bird. Welcome to the Outdoor Channel Circle of Honor, where we celebrate individuals that have made a significant impact in the world of the outdoors. Some draw attention to outdoor sports through celebrity status, some through their conservation efforts, and some for excelling in various facets of the outdoors. Circle of Honor is our way of saying thanks to those great people. Today's show is an extremely special one for us, as we pay tribute to the man who, with a vision and literally a pot full of gold, founded Gold Prospectors Association of America, Global Outdoors Incorporated, and ultimately, the Outdoor Channel. His name is George Buzzard Massey. He passed away in 1993 at the young age of 54. 
but he's left us with a great legacy. It is with great pride that the Outdoor Channel today still strives to maintain programming that is consistent with George's ideals about good morals, family values, getting back to nature, and supporting our American traditions. I'm happy to turn this over to his family and friends now to tell you about the life and character of George Buzzard Massey. Well, he always considered himself a hillbilly, you know. Uh, he grew up barefoot running around the hills there in Caneyville, Kentucky, and they never really knew they were poor till Lady Bird Johnson told them they had to wear shoes, you know. Well, I believe his, uh, his mom and dad uh, moved from, from Kentucky to California. When he went into the Air Force, he was uh, stationed in Riverside at, at March Bay. And that's where he uh, started to um, stay in California and go to school here, and then after that we met. Well, he had his charm, but he was also also very handsome, and he was he had qualities that that I was looking for. He was honest, and he was uh, a good a good Christian person, and uh, he. Um, he was just—he just loved life, and I liked—I I loved listening to him. He just—he just had me, me so interesting in his stories that I fell in love with him right away, and and we were inseparable after that. And two weeks later, he gave me an engagement ring, and a month later, he—he he we got married, and it was the luckiest because we were married 33 years, and it was 33 years of my happiest time. And, and uh, he was a good husband and a good father. He loved his boy. Although George didn't start out prospecting for a living, he did have some exposure to it early in his life. This is stuff that he'd tell me, you know, about his Uncle John going to Alaska and participating in the gold rush. And so those stories kind of got him thinking about gold, and they'd run down to the hollows and down to the creeks and try and look for gold, and it kind of was the start of his idea of prospecting was from his Uncle John. Then they moved uh, uh, out to California when he was younger and uh, when he went up to Montana I guess he was elk hunting and they come across a prospector out there in the hills and showed him some big fruit jars full of gold. His name was Doc Kessler and he had claims along St. Joe, the headwaters of the St. Joe River and we got to be friends with him and, and my dad uh, decided to try prospecting with him and so the way we got started in prospecting was meeting an old prospector and, and getting gold fever by talking and hearing his stories and he started prospecting that way and we got our own claims and started digging and, and uh, we all sort of learned prospecting together as a group and so the gold fever started Stay tuned to find out how prospecting eventually became a way of life for the Massey family. I remember uh, hiding in the back of my dad's car on his way to work, uh, fighting traffic in Los Angeles, going to work in some sales department uh, there, and how much he hated that. But uh, I think one day he just got fed up with life in L.A. and decided to get his family to a more rural area and he, he took a summer trip one year and we drove from Los Angeles we went north all the way through Oregon and Washington and Idaho and, and I think his favorite place wound up being up in northern Idaho, uh, eastern Washington area. And the first day we were there, Perry slept through the night. He had a 
some kind of an asthma problem and he never really slept through the night very good in Los Angeles. So I said, after the third day, I said, I'm getting plenty of rest myself. I'm not moving back. And he said, I agree with you. So he went home and we went into a furnished apartment and stayed there until he got back and he went and got all our stuff and sold our house and, and just did everything and, and told the people he was leaving and they couldn't believe it. They offered him race and everything. They said, you can't leave us. We really wanted you. And he said, well, my family's more important. So he came back and we uh, started our own business. And he had our own rep business so he could be home with his family. After the move to Idaho, George started his own business and the Masseys took up mining as a hobby. When we first moved up there, we moved to Liberty Lake, Washington. And uh, as a child, I remember the, the beauty of getting out of the city versus being in a place where there's woods and trees and I could build forts and it was, it was really fun for me to live there. We decided to go out in the country a lot. There's just so many things to do. And um, he got where he was out in the, in the we got a, uh, a trailer and we went out 80 miles sometimes. And we just did our own thing and we were out there with uh, checking things out and there was old cabins with a metal detector and, and and they were looking for anything they could find that was something different, so they found gold. And that's, that's when it started, he found gold, and, and he said, my gosh, I found gold. So he started to work with that, that was our thing, that was our hobby at the time, we were going to go gold mining, oh, this is great. So that's part of how he started on Gold Prospect. Uh, we really didn't have any long history of, of, of prospecting in our family, we just sort of fell into it in our old hunting grounds and, and uh, I learned along with my dad uh, as we went along and slowly but surely we developed our own prospecting techniques. As George got more involved in mining, he also became more passionate about protecting the rights of miners and their way of life. And that is when he got the idea to form Gold Prospectors Association of America. The main mission of GPA is to help educate the public on what prospecting is all about. We also teach them the tools and provide them with places to go so that there's always going to be people out prospecting is what our goal is and then also to try to lobby as much as we can to protect our rights to have the access to that public land. Now there's a there's a big land grab going on by certain environmental groups that have gone kind of wacko on us lately and and they're out there trying to grab this land for their very own or even in some instances to take private land and make these guys a custodian for uh, the spotted owl or the the desert tortoise or the kangaroo rat uh, without due compensation. I'm not I'm not adverse to, and and uh, to to protecting these different species. I think we need to do that, but if we're want to do that then we should be willing to pay for that land not just take a man's private land and tell him that we're going to make you a custodian for that and devalue your property to the point to where it's almost worthless and, and there's a big controversy going on about that. In the early 80s George and his boys were prospecting on the Stanislaus River in California when what to their wondering eyes should appear but the mother load of gold that would last through the years. Prospecting is something that I think George got into when he was showed by an old-time prospector up in Idaho about gold and the stew was out there. 
and it was one of those things you kind of latch onto. It struck a chord right in his heart and his soul. And then, you know, right around 1980 or 7980, he hit that uh, personal mother load for a small time operation when you had you and your sons working on a, a little mining operation up on the river in the mother load of California. What they did in 1979 and 80 was basically hit the mother load. They hit that pocket up on the Stanislaus River and they pulled out like 800 ounces in, in two weeks, you know, and that's amazing. And that's when gold was hitting up around 850 bucks an ounce. So that was uh, quite a triumph. I mean, that's what every prospector dreams of doing. And he did it. And it was by accident that they found it. I'm sure one of the boys would told you that, but they found nice gold and we had to make a, a run to the bank to put it in the vault there. Yeah, that was really nice. So it was a, a really uh, a bonus because they have just been doing it as a fun, being together. And then when they found the gold, another the they called the the pot the pothole gold or the, the mother load or something. They that the old timers didn't get. It was a bonus, and they were so happy with that. George received quite a bit of notoriety for his prospecting efforts, including a special appearance on the Merv Griffin Show and a commercial contract with Home Savings Bank. They found out that he had found all this gold, and that's when Merv Griffin called him on the show to show the gold. And that's when we went on the Merv Griffin Show to show the gold and to talk about how he, how he was a prospector. And uh, when we got there, they didn't know. They thought it was an old prospect with a beard and stuff, and here comes a young man. <laughs> and as long as we're going to be talking about gold, we thought it'd be nice to look at some. We have behind this screen to my left here a bit of gold, and we're going to give you a demonstration on how you can acquire for yourself some of the most precious commodity in the world, the glittering stuff, because we have a real live prospector with us who's going to show us today how to pan for gold. Would you remove the screen, ladies and gentlemen, here's a million and a half dollars worth of gold sitting right here. Just look at that, okay? Ready, here we go. <laughs> it's in every shape and form, the vials, as you can see. This is all stuff that has been prospected by the gentleman you're gonna meet after this commercial here in America. It is very exciting. And you'll meet prospector George Massey right after this commercial break. My uh, first guest suggests that we just go out and prospect for it ourselves. That's what he does. He's George Massey, president of the Gold Prospectors Association of America. And he's here to show us how he looks for and finds gold in them our hills. Here's the old prospector himself, George Massey. George? <laughs> Are you a happy man? Oh, you better believe it. How much have you panned, approximately in weight? Merv, there's been more gold through my pan than I weigh. Are you serious? Uh-huh. And I'm overweight. <laughs> Just keep that weight coming there, George. George Massey. Thank you, George. And then uh, from that there became a commercial. They wanted George to do commercials, so he did commercials for a home savings. And he wasn't going to do it, but I said, I think it would be fun to do. And because he, he wanted to do good, but he didn't want to feel like, well, look at me. So I said, well, you're so natural, you should do it. So he, and then after he did it, he said, yeah, it's okay, I'll, you know, it's all right. 
So he had a good time doing it, too. Aside from television coverage, George's success at the Stanislaus River brought him all kinds of press coverage, which helped him and GPAA promote gold prospecting all over the United States. They also found another avenue for showing off what he loved to do through his own television show. It was through his show that he was able to communicate with his fans and convey a lot of the politics and freedoms that he felt passionate about. It was George's goal and passion to educate people about these freedoms through the use of the television medium that ultimately led to the birth of the Outdoor Channel. And the Outdoor Channel uses his philosophies as a guide for its programming choices even today. We, we never really thought of my dad as a TV personality when, when we were younger, but he could get in front of a crowd and just totally mesmerize the crowd, hold their attention, and come across as an uh, unbelievable uh, personality. He, he could hold people's attention where you would think they would get bored, but they were just excited and more excited to see what he had to say. And it was a natural talent that, that he had that uh, once he got behind the camera and saw the reaction of people that uh, after they saw him on TV, it sort of reinforced that. And I remember going to uh, some of the gold shows, like in Las Vegas, we had a convention, and there'd be 50 kids lined up to get his autograph. And, that just made him feel really good and he, he loved to see, have the feeling that he was encouraging families and kids especially get out and prospect. The thing about George was is that when people remember him and seen him on TV on his school prospector shows and he had that down that and, and, and some people might think that, that was an, it was an act, it was him putting on a persona on TV. Well, when you saw him out in real life, he was not one bit different. He was the very same person out in real life as you saw on TV. And that's rare. I mean, you know, that's, that's a rare quality. He had that charisma out there that would naturally attract people. And that's something that's a gift that people feel because he was a natural born leader. He always wore his feelings on his shirt sleeve. And Every time that he was ever on camera or up in front of anybody, it was always just him. There was never any acting. It was always George Massey. Uh, and he would uh, get passionate about you know, prospectors, and he would see an injustice, and then he would try and write it. He wouldn't just you know, pass it over and say, you know, well, there's nothing that I can really do. He would get involved and try and do something. A lot of people remember George fondly. Let's hear what these folks have to say. Everyone that, that, that met George and went camping with him or went gold mining with him or whatever they did, uh, still remember him, they'll always remember him. And then the new people that come on, they watch some of the old films that, that we had and they'll come up to me and they say, gee, I wish I, I, wish I had known that guy. I wish I had joined the club earlier and, and met George and been in on all the, all the jokes and all the fun that, that you guys had. And I, I really appreciate the fact that, that I had a, a number of real good years to go to Alaska and be with him and, and have, have all that fun. I think that some of the most important things my dad has taught me is he's taught me to determination and he's taught me to, to, to respect other people and, and to have an open mind and, and, and uh, try to keep a frame of reference that 
you know, an open mind so that you can understand what other people are thinking and, and try to change with the times. And, and uh, if you've got something you believe in, stick with it. And uh, that's some of, the, some of the values that he's taught us. He's, he's taught me some great values, and, and you know, I think about them all the time. <laughs> I think a good reflection of, of George and uh, how his philosophy towards life was uh, not only the hard work aspect, but if he saw something that you know he wanted to do, he would go out and do it. It wasn't a matter of sitting there and said, "Well, uh, this is going to be hard to do," and or you know, the, you know, are we likely to succeed here or not? You know. If he saw something and it made sense to him, he would go out and do it. And we would do what it took to get that job done. This was a man's man. He was uh, very traditional in nature. He believed in the hard work ethic. Uh, I think that's what attracted a lot of people that liked George was that this wasn't a, he definitely wasn't a sissy guy here. You know, this was a, he was a man's man who did things in a very traditional way, so it really appealed to me personally. Well, George Buzzard Massey. First of all, he was a great father, and he had a lot of characteristics that I really admire. And one of them was that he was never too good for anybody, no matter how much success he had. He always had time for anybody. I mean, if it was going up in front of Congress and speaking and to congressmen and he treated them just the same as he'd treat somebody back in the woods in a cabin someplace down on their luck, he treated everybody equal and I really admired him for that. Meeting George Massey, it was a turning point in my life. And you know, I'm in a position today and I count my blessings that I'm here. And it's because of George. And he taught me so many of the uh, qualities and skills that I have today. He was the one that taught me those skills. And it, but he, he would allow you to flourish and, and, and become whatever you could be because that was the basic philosophy he lived by. That's uh, something really unique out there with, about George, you know. You know, when he passed away, you know, I tell you what, it was, it was like losing my own. My older brother or my father. It was just as hard. He was always looked at the good, so he always liked everybody. So right away he got returned that way. So that's why his, his charisma was so beautiful. It was it's a gift, and uh, it was it was something that caught my eye right away. So and and uh, he he had that that beautiful quality where people liked him, and uh, he was always uh, he never would talk bad about nobody. He was always saw good things with people, and that's, I think, his good quality. That he was, uh, he was just uh, a happy man. He was happy and content. It ain't so easy to find, but it sure is sweet when you find it. And I'll tell you what, it's pretty and it's yellow and it's worth a lot of money when you do get it. You can, you can find gold just about everywhere in the United States. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. My name is George Massey. I'm a gold miner. At least that's what I call myself. I ain't anything else. One of you guys want to bring that artifact over here? We don't want to talk too much about artifact. We'll have the archaeological people down here wanting to wanting to dig around on our property, you know, and wanting us to stop gold mining until they can come down and do their educated crap, I guess. So, ladies and gentlemen, until next time, this is the old buzzard here and his friends, and we'll be seeing you on uh, next week's show.
When we reflect on the memory of George Massey, it's clear that we celebrate a person that had an amazingly genuine approach to life and a very special ability to deal with people from all walks. He was a true prospecting spirit that lives on today in everything that he has helped create, and for that we are grateful. I'm Tracy Bird, and we'll see you next time on Circle of Honor. The overzealous people today, they want to stop mining. The small guy with his pick and shovel, he doesn't hurt anything. We can't afford to lose the recreation that is much fun as prospecting. You've got to get out there and, and know what it is to be cold and wet and hungry in order to really enjoy what it is to be well fed. So hard work is good for you because it brings reason and balance to your life. If you want to get out there and work hard and do the right thing, you can make it in these United States. Because this is part of our heritage. And I want to leave that legacy for the kids coming behind us. You can find gold out there. You're not going to get rich at it. Sometimes you won't find any. But I tell you what you will find out here. You'll find freedom, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, it's so important to me that you consider the Gold Prospectors Association of America. I'm for the pick and shovel miner. You get representation, you know that your voice is being heard. I got some more truths to lay on you. Thomas Jefferson said it, when you allow a government to have control over an individual's property, then that government has control over his will. You're not exempt to this, folks. If you ever hope to own any property in this country, then you better jealously support the Fifth Amendment to the Constitution with old Buzzard and the rest of us gold miners. And boy, I'll tell you, they know how to lock you out of that public land. Let's save it for a kangaroo rat that interbreeds with the other rats. It's a subspecies. Heck, I'm a subspecies, folks. A little Irish, a little African. Little black, little Mexican, I don't know, 57 varieties, I'm an American. We've got some darn fine congressmen, but you got to figure out which ones they are. Me and you together, we're going to figure it out. And if we can't figure it out, we'll vote to booger out and try somebody else anyway. Yes, we will. That's right. <laughs> and imagine that. that. that He made that in probably the year before he died, so it would have been 1992 early 90s, and what did he talk about? Getting locked out of our federal lands. What's happening today? Being locked out of our federal lands. Why? Hmm. Let's ponder why for a second and leave everybody in the audience with a little something to think about until we happen to meet again here on the airwaves. And that is, we're being locked out of these lands and this whole thing about the gold not being important and everybody trying to put it down, you know, if you tell somebody you're a gold prospector or a gold miner, they kind of chuckle and giggle at you these days, you know, and that's okay. But we're the ones that are on top of it, and we know that the gates are being put up, the fences are being put up, the signs are being put up saying stay out. The National Forest in this country and all – most all of your public lands, including rest areas along the interstate, are coming under subject of a little something called Agenda 21. Look it up. George nailed it. Yes, he did. And also check out the UNESCO, the World Heritage Sites. One thing you want to remember, folks, 
The one other thing that you didn't hear because we didn't play that one particular clip, but the one thing that George is famous for saying is everything we have is either mined or grown. You got plastic, that stuff is mined. You got anything that you eat, that stuff is grown. And it, everything we have around us falls in one of those categories. Check it out. Mind or grown. That's right. I mean, you can sit and look at everything around you and say what you just said, mind, grown, mind, because people say. It's either wood, plastic, steel, or one of the derivatives of one of those. And if it's wood, it was grown. If it's steel, the, the products it's it mine. took to make steel were mine. Your so. plastics are the same way. They say, oh, well, that's better living through chemistry. Well, you had to get the ingredients to make the chemistry from somewhere. And I've asked this before on past shows way back in our archives when we first started doing our expedition shows. And I was asking the question, how much sense does it make for a government to put down a group of people that are mining real money and adding to the wealth of the country? What would be the reason for putting that group of people down at every turn in the river? No well, pun intended. What, but what happens if that group of people has more real money than the people in power? Exactly. But then there's also the positive part, like dredgers. What do, what do dredgers do for the environment? Uh, we've covered it here on the show before quite a few times. The number two things that dredgers do to improve the environment, and I'm talking about a, somebody with a small, small-time small dredge, upwards of, say, a three up to a six or eight inch in a river or a stream. There's two things that happen when that person dredges. Actually, there's three, three big things. Number one, he makes a hole and disturbs the bottom of the stream. The fish love that. The crustaceans, the crabs, the crawfish, whatever, all the things that crawl around on the bottom, they love that. They love their habitat being totally destroyed so they can make all new stuff. And it stirs up food that they didn't even know they had. Number two, we remove mercury. Some of that mercury comes in the form of cinnabar or natural mercury. It's in some of the rivers and streams and lakes and things out west especially. And it's also a byproduct of old-time mining. We were told stories in 2015 when we were on the Klamath of how they used to dump 55-gallon drums of mercury in the sluice boxes. Yeah. And it wasn't caught at the bottom so that they could take it back up and dump it in again. It was let go in the river. Well, we found uh, – we were digging up on a uh, high point off the river – Right, and the the only time the river would be that high would be in a flood stage. Oh, five hundred year flood. And we found mercury. Well, we were in gold. That, if you remember right, the hole we dug, the first part of it, first half, there wasn't any mercury gold, and no. then we hit that little like a vein. And oh, about yeah. the same time, we got into it. The other group that we were working with, Peggy and Ray and them, they were 100 yards, 75 yards away, digging in a totally different place, but on the same bedrock shelf. Yeah. 
500-year flood shelf, and they got into the mercury gold just about the same time we did. And they said that was crazy because they dug there for two years and hadn't had any mercury gold. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, we get into it in our hole, and boom, the same day, they find the first mercury gold in two years. But that's the way that was because where we were working up on that shelf was the byproducts, the, the slag or the tailings of what had been a major hydro mining operation. Yeah. We're talking about the big monitors that shot water streams of water, you know, five, six hundred yards up on the side of the mountain with a force enough to knock the side out of a house. Yeah. And blowing the side of the mountain off. And that area was famous for it. So yeah, the thing of it is we do mercury. And the last thing, which is just as important as mercury, is the lead. The lead left over, it's not natural by no means. But we find it by the ton. It's dredged out of the rivers out west and even back east by the ton. And that lead comes from three, two or three major sources. Fishermen, people with guns who like to shoot up in the air or shoot randomly in the woods, whatever. And this lead ends up in a small stream and ends up in the flood and ends up washing into the bigger stream. It's almost as heavy as gold, so it goes kind of like gold does, and it pockets up. So when you hit a pocket of lead with a dredge, you could have eight or ten pounds of lead with a four or five hour dredge run. Yeah, It's incredible. So these are the two things that dredge, three things that dredgers do. They talk about how we kill fish. That's bullshit. They talk about in the, out in the Klamath, they were worried about a fish that's not even a native to the Klamath River. That's how insane it's getting. Okay? We're, I'm not going to get into a rant tonight. We've already run out of time, and I don't want to mess up the memory of George and what we did for him and the GPAA and the LDMA. What I will do is go over a quick itinerary here. We're going to be pulling out of here no later than Wednesday morning, Wednesday afternoon at the very latest. We're headed south, and we're going to hit possibly Vane Mountain LDMA. Then we're going to cruise on over, and by Friday afternoon after lunch, we're going to be at Loud Mine LDMA in North Georgia. We're probably going to be visiting Dahlonega and our, one of our favorite little places down there known as Crisone Gold Shop and Gold Mine. Uh, maybe even bounce in and see them over at Golden Jim Grubbin. That's right down the stream from Loud Mine. Yeah. So it's going to be a busy couple of weeks. And we're about to hit the road with our brand new Oro Expeditions mobile headquarters. Yes, it's uh, might not be brand new age-wise, but it's brand new to us, and it's in good shape. It's, it's a first too. Yeah, I'm happy to say it's our first camper. Well, let's put it this way: it's our first anything over a 12-person tent. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't even ever had a four-wheeler before, but by God, I own me a motorhome. Yes, and, and now and we can... And the next one will have a toy box for the four-wheelers. And now we can camp in comfort. Oh, yes. Glamping is what they call it. Glamp, yes. We have a bed, a real Concrete bed. Pad, air conditioning. Pad, hot water. <laughs> hot and cold running water. City water, if you want it. we got to have really cool things like uh, circuit protectors and... Uh, water surge protectors and things yeah, we never even knew existed in the trucking industry. <laughs> now we got to have them. It's like, yay, we're 
tourists, finally, <laughs> but we're a very special kind of tourist. We're gold tourists. Don't forget it. Yeah, no, when you open the cargo box and see gold mining tools, you know. <laughs> pans fall out. And yeah, classifiers and shovels. Little gas can half full because it's for the dredge. And, oh, yeah, it's going to be fun. And we're going to do our best to keep everything on the air just like we got it. Uh, if we don't, Miss Brianne, uh, Brianna is going to be going to be out of a job. <laughs> be out of a job along with this little lady we got coming up the steps here in the back steps here. So we got to make sure they have a job. So we'll be we're going to be on the air. Whether it's Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, we're not sure. Hell, we're not even sure if it's going to be Eastern or not. So, And we're not even sure if it's going to be BTR. It might be YouTube. So be our singers might YouTube. be out of a job anyway. <laughs> we could still do them. We could, do, we could do videos of them instead of just audio. <laughs> we could probably find videos of both of them. Yeah. So anything's possible. We're growing. We're expanding. We're not pregnant. Well, I had to say that after saying expanding, just so they knew, they knew which direction we were expanding, in what form. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're a little bit slap happy tonight, simply because tomorrow the big buggy gets its license plate. Hopefully, after right after it gets its inspection passed. Plus, we're a little tired, so. It was a a lot of cleaning and rubbing on the outside of that. Well, we we didn't have to plan something so soon after getting it, but you know it worked out just right that the loud mine dirt party was just happened to be taking place. So we're headed that away, southbound to the Carolinas and Georgia. What was it Smokey said, or the bandit said, southbound and down. Oh, no, that was eastbound and down. Southbound. Yeah, eastbound and down. <laughs> Load them up and trucking. Yeah. That's when they did the original movie, and they were hauling Coors beer. Smoking the band. For, yeah. for all you trivia buffs. Yeah, it was bootleg at the time, because you didn't find it east of the Mississippi. Right. Couldn't get it, but they had it for a wedding or something in Florida or something. Some rich guy wanted it for a party. Was it? No, it was... Big guy, little guy that were dressed in the white tuxedo. Yeah, Paul Williams and I can't big think. Big Amos, Little Amos or whatever they yeah, call Yeah, I couldn't. Th- I can't think of who played the big guy. Paul Williams played the little guy. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they were part of the other movies. But yeah, hey, we're taking up somebody's airtime here. So we're going to call it quits. I'm Orocast. Right over there is Miss Paula. And Oro Expeditions, After Dark, and then some, whatever you want to think of. We'll be back soon. Stay tuned to our pages on Facebook for more information. And here's Miss Rosalie Cher. Good night, everybody. Night, everybody.
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.